Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. If COVID has done one thing uh, in the last year in my life, it has made me thankful for this crappy building we get to meet in. Amen. So, well, it's good to see you guys here this morning. Um, Go ahead and open up your Bible to John chapter 17. That's where we're going to start this morning, but the majority of our time is actually going to be in Psalm chapter 24. And uh, over the next four weeks, we're going to be doing a vision series. It's going to be something out of, out of the ordinary for us. Uh, but we really wanted to spend a few weeks specifically going over um, what our values are here as a church and, and explain kind of what we care about, kind of what we think God wants us to be and how from, a, from an organizational structure as the church um, how our, our church is kind of centered on these core distinctives. And, and this is important for a number of reasons, but the biggest one being is, is God has uh, given a, a number of expressions of the local church, both here in the city, but worldwide. And so it's helpful for you to, to know, especially I know a lot of you guys, maybe last week was your first week, or you've only been coming around for a couple months to know, hey, here's what Aletheia Church is all about. Here's where we're going, and here's what we see uh, God doing. And, and every church has these, by the way, either spoken or unspoken. Uh, but I want to make sure that we as leaders have communicated at least where our church is and where we're going. And so this morning, in the, in the next 45 minutes or so, or maybe five hours, however long I feel like talking this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at this first value. And, and our, the first value we're going to look at is God's glory. Uh, and, and I want to just start off by saying this, God's glory, guys, if, whether you're a follower of Jesus here this morning or not, God's glory is the reason you exist. You exist, whether you believe in God or not, to make much of God. God's glory is revealed through you, whether you believe he's real or not. That by your very existence, you display and declare the majesty and the beauty and the glory of God in ways that you can't even begin to describe or imagine. And so I want to share this basic definition of our view of God's glory as a church. And this is kind of where we stand, okay? So let me read this to you verbatim. I'm going to do this for you, Daniel Espy, wherever you're at, right? So that there's no mistakes. All right. Each person and everything in the universe exists by the grace of God and for the glory of God. The Bible says that whether we are eating a steak, amen, or drinking a glass of water, we should do it with the glory of God in mind. And that's taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. In this, we are called to follow the example of Jesus, who said that everything he did was to glorify the Father. And that comes from that text we just had read for us by Holly, John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. He, Jesus, did this by completing the work that he was given to do. And as his followers, each of us has been put on this earth at a certain time and at a certain place with certain giftings to bring glory to God in the same way that Jesus did. We strive to live with the same solitary focus as our great Lord and Savior. So guys, if you've ever like asked yourself, like I, I'll hear this and people be like, oh, Aletheia, they exist because they're a college church. They're for college students. And yes and amen, we care about college students. That's why there's a lot of you guys here. But the reason Aletheia Church exists is for the glory of God. We exist to make much of him and to exalt the name of Jesus because he is worthy. 
That is why we are here. And if you, if you look back at that passage that Holly read for us just a few moments ago in John chapter 17, right? In this passage, we see Jesus really giving us a foundation for what our lives are to be centered around. He says that the entire reason he came, the entire reason that he's in that garden praying to the Father right before his arrest and his beating and his crucifixion and then subsequently his resurrection, the entire reason he's there is to magnify, to make much of, and to display the beauty of God and who he is. That all that Jesus went through was to make much of the Father and his great love for us. That Jesus' act that we talked about so much last week on Easter Sunday was done to glorify the Father whom had sent him. And this is important, guys. I, I, it may seem kind of trivial to say, oh yeah, my church is about the glory of God. It would seem like yeah, that should be a, a, a non-negotiable characteristic of a church. But, but let me just say this. If we lose sight of the fact that we exist for the glory of God, if we lose our why of why we gather on Sundays, if we lose our why of why we gather and pray and repent of sin and confess to one another and push other towards holiness and godliness, if we lose the why, we end up becoming focused on the wrong things and we start to look a lot like the world around us. Here, let me, let me just share this with you guys, right? We live in a merit-based culture, amen? We do. We live in a merit-based culture. Your school GPA matters a lot. College admissions care a lot about your merits and what you have done and whether you can get into school or not. Scholarships are based almost entirely on merit and worthiness. They might have different criteria, but they're based on merit. Internships, almost always based on merit, even if that merit is knowing somebody. Jobs, often based on merit. Promotions in those jobs, based on merit. Applications, interviews, job performances, all based on merit. Guys, even something as simple as parenting, we as parents, and the parents are going to know exactly what I'm talking about here, make our performance about parenting and the performance of our children all based upon their merit and not simply their existence. One of the worst places for a new mother to be is Instagram. It's like, oh, look at me. I bathed my child in this well water that's organic with a perfect pH. And then my two-month-old is painting. I remember when like Jackie... Uh, and I had first had our first son, Gideon, I'd come home, and Jackie was a stay-at-home mom for the, the first, you know, eight or nine years of our kids' lives, and Jackie's like, I'm like, honey, what's wrong with you? Our friend, you know, she's just such a good mom. I'm like, look, man, like, everybody takes the good picture. Anybody posting the picture of the kid puking in the middle of the night on you? Right? Everything that we do in our lives, we, though, we, we run to performance and merit, and worthiness, trying to declare ourselves worthy of something. And the reality is twofold. One, very few of us ever measure up even to the standards that we set. But the church should be a refuge from that culture. 
The church should be a refuge from the place where you're screamed and told you're not good enough all week because the reality is, is you're not good enough, but in Christ, God declares that you are. And, and, and if we come to church, right, having lost this distinctive that, that we are after God's glory and making much of him and, and that he is worthy of that because of what he has done for us in Christ, Right, the, the one place that we're supposed to come to to receive freedom from the world, freedom from this merit-based, performance-based meritocracy that we all live in, if we lose sight of the fact that we exist for the glory of God and instead pastors like myself become merit-based as well, we just end up heaping more and more expectations upon you, more and more desires for you and standards that you can never live up to and the weight will be crippling. But if instead we focus on that singular truth that we exist by God's grace and for his glory, then we will see lives transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. And we will see an impact made for his glory, not for our own. Guys, let me, let me share something with you from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses um, 6 through 18. Right, I want you, 16 through 18, excuse me. Right, I want you to see what Paul says to the Corinthians here about the glory of God. He says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. He's saying, hey, look, before you came to know Christ, it was as if you were standing behind a veil and didn't know what was on the other side. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And then look at what he says, right? He's going to explain what that freedom is. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, see, see what he's saying there. He's saying, "Church, we are we are free. We are free because God has revealed Himself to us in Christ, and the veil has been removed. If you are in Him, and if you want to." partake in the glory of the Lord, if you want to be more like Jesus, you want to be transformed by his grace, you want to live in holiness and righteousness, you don't do that by then returning to a meritocracy meritocracy of where you are attempting to do all of God's commands and law. No, the way that we are transformed is by beholding the glory of the Lord. And by gazing upon that glory, We are transformed to live out the mission and vision that God uniquely gives to each and every one of us. Not because we are under compulsion, but because the glory of God, if you've really had the veil torn away, is so gripping and compelling that we can't help but respond to his glory in obedience. So here's what I think God wants for us today. What I think he wants us to realize as a church, so as we leave here this morning, we leave with a more compelling picture 
of how great our God is. We're going to look at Psalm 24. And as we look at that, my prayer is that we would see the beauty of God in a way that we maybe haven't before or renewed in a way that would lead us to a deeper worship of Him. And so I want, to, I want to say this first, right? So when I say we at Aletheia Church, we're about the glory of God, some of you guys may even be asking, what is the glory of God? What, what, what is that? Define that for me. Uh, because if we're going to understand Psalm 24, we're going to need to come to an understanding of what that is. And so I'm going to steal from His High Holiness, John Piper, and define the glory of God the way that he does, right? He says, the glory of God is the manifest beauty of his holiness. It is the going public of his holiness. If you're tracking with that statement, right, what he's saying is that we are seeing what is unknowable and unseeable about God, not because we see it, but because he reveals it to us. God displays to us how much greater he is, how much holier he is, how much more beautiful he is, that he reveals that to us. And in some ways, trying to define the glory of God is nearly impossible with human words. How would one define something so, so grand, something so infinite, something so perfect, something so holy and separate from all of us? Right? Piper goes on to say that God is in a class by himself. He has infinite perfections, infinite greatness, and infinite worth. This means that to experience the glory of God, you in some way begin to partake and experience and know his perfect character, his awesome power, his holiness, and as you experience the splendor and the majesty of the God who created you, you start to worship him for who he is, not for what he has done for you. As let me just say this, because I think something I frequently see, both in my own heart and in the heart of others, that we tend to view Jesus as worthy of our worship simply because he gave his life for us and rose from the dead. Guys, he is certainly worthy of that. But he's worthy of our worship so much more so simply because he is. Simply because he exists. As we're going to see later in Hebrews how he holds all things together. God is worthy of our worship and our attention and our affections and our worship because he is God, not because of what he does for us. And this will lead us to do one thing, as we understand the glory of God, worship him. And so in Psalm 24, David is going to reveal to us three ways that we can see the glory of God revealed to us and respond and worship. We see the glory of God in his creation. We see it in his holiness or his moral uprightness of character. We see it in his son, Jesus Christ. Look at, look at Psalm chapter 24 and let, let's, just, let's dive into these first two verses and start unpacking this psalm a little bit. A psalm of David, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Right, so, so a couple things I want you to notice as we look at those verses, right? It says the earth belongs to who? God. Like all of this belongs to him. Everything that your eye can see belongs to our creator, king. And it may seem like common sense, but it's important to note that because he created all things and therefore creation reveals to us in some way the beauty and the glory of God. Theologians would term that, that understanding as common grace. They would say that by simply looking at creation, God reveals himself to us through that creation, that we can look at it and know that God exists simply by, by looking out on the world around us. If you, if you turn over to Psalm chapter 19, I'm just going to read verse 1 to you, but look at what David says in Psalm 19. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. We see here that God reveals his power and majesty to all human beings, not just to those who claim to know him and to know the God of the Bible, but that our God, Yahweh, the creator of all things, reveals his power and majesty to everyone simply through creation. That the universe declares the glory of God to us. Now, how many of you guys have grown up and lived in Florida your entire life? Okay, so this example I'm about to give is going to be pretty tough for you, I think. Have you guys ever been to a really beautiful place in creation and it simply took your breath away? And all the, look at you Floridians. All of you are so angry right now. Guys, your state is flat. It's basically a swamp. You guys are so offended. How many of you guys ever stood at the foot of the, of, of the Colorado Rockies? You will agree with me if you've stood at the foot of the Colorado Rockies. The state is ugly. It's cool. We've got the beach. It's hot. Gators everywhere. You know, that's your thing. Cool. But there are really, really beautiful places out there. Will you throw that picture up for me? This is a picture of a lake that my wife and I went to when we were in Aspen, Colorado a couple years ago. Guys, it's gorgeous. And by the way, that picture is even more beautiful than the day that we were there because everything was dead on the trees when we were there except for the aspens themselves. Because this is just small, one small picture of the artistry of creation of our God. And, and here's the thing about if you, if you look at that picture or if you're really in love with Florida and, and, and it gets you worshiping, go for it. But here, here's the thing about this picture and the beauty of creation around us, what it does is it communicates the beauty of the creator, not the creation itself. No one ever looked at a, at a, at a picture or a, sculpt, a sculpture and said, man, I'm glad that picture painted itself. No, you go to an art gallery to celebrate the painter of the exhibit, not the painting itself to celebrate the creative majesty of the person who made that painting or that sculpture. 
And in the same way, right, as we look out on creation, and I look at that picture, and there's just something in my soul, it's, it's almost primal, that looks at that picture, and it's just like, man, like, hey, it's beautiful. It's amazing. Right? It's because God has placed a longing in our soul to know him and to worship him. And then as we gaze at creation, experiences like looking out on that picture live and in person calls us to long for God, not creation. And it longs for us to know the creator of that, not what it is. God in his glory reveals himself to us. Just a small picture of his beauty and his majesty simply in his creation. As I don't know about you, like seeing all these pictures of Mars, I was like, man, that's just one other planet that can't even sustain life. Look how amazing it is. The beauty and majesty of our God is revealed to us in creation. But as David says, it doesn't stop there. And look at what he says starting in verse 3 of Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Selah. These verses reveal to us another way in which God declares his glory and grandeur to his people. And that's through his moral goodness, ultimately stated as his holiness. And look at verse three. And he says, who shall stand in his holy place? And then he answers in verse four. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul, to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So do you see what David's doing here? He's like, hey, who can be in the presence of God? Who can be in the presence of God's glory? Right? If, if, if God's glory were to be revealed to us on the mountaintop, who would be able to stand in his presence? And he says, those who have clean hands and a pure heart, who do not lift up their soul to what is false and do not swear deceitfully. If you guys need me to, I can translate those verses for you. The answer is no one. Right? No one meets those standards laid out right there. But if someone does, right, if someone is able to stand in the presence of God and, and in the glory of God, right, they receive blessing and righteousness from the God of their salvation. Right? And then he says, for those who seek his face. And he says, Selah. And if you don't know what Selah is, anytime you're in the Psalms and you see that term, it just means stop what you're doing pause and reflect on what has just been said. So, so if we stop and pause here for a minute, right? let's think about what David is saying. Right? David is saying, God, 
as I think about you, as I reflect on your glory, as I look out on creation, all I can see is the beauty of who you are and what you've made. And as I continue to dwell upon you, as I continue to think about you, as I continue to to wrestle with who you are and the beauty and majesty of who you are, I think about your holiness. I think about your character. I just think about who you are. I think about how unworthy I am to stand in your presence. I think about how there is no one who walks upon this earth who is able to stand before you because of your holiness, because you are perfect. David asks these questions in verse 3 almost rhetorically. Right? He knows of God's holiness. He knows that God in being holy is separate, that God is distinct, that, that God is different than us. And he knows that he, even David, a man after God's own heart, doesn't measure up and is unworthy to stand in the presence of the glory of God. And you may be sitting there thinking, well, wait a minute, why, why is David writing a song of worship and praise if he's basically saying, God, I can't stand before you? Right? What would cause someone to say, I love you because I can't be around you? What would cause someone to do that? Because it may seem harsh, but God's glory is manifested in his holiness. And you may be even asking yourself the question that David asked, can I ascend the hill? I stand in his presence. I think it's important to understand this about God. God hates sin. He hates it. It is utterly opposed to him and who he is in his character. I'm going to speak very harshly here for a moment. You are not someone who just does bad things. You are a rebellious sinner who is wicked in the eyes of God. And so am I. And that sin is an affront to the character and very existence of our creator. One of the biggest dangers I see in my own heart is my proclivity to downplay my own sinfulness. Because what I am doing when I downplay my own sinfulness, as I am robbing God of his glory and his holiness and his grandeur. I'm making God out to be less than, worthy of less. And he will not stand for it. And when I say that you and I are sinners, I don't mean our actions. I mean that we are born that way like our first father, Adam. The Bible teaches that. I'm not going to go in depth on that today. Just trust me on this. I've studied it at length. You and I are born sinners. And if you don't believe me, Josh and Ruthanne Green have recently had a little baby. And when that child gets a little older, they would love free babysitting, and you can learn what original sin really is. Because as much as I love little Judah, he would love to display the glory of his nature to you. 
You can also come hang out with my kids. Right? They will display to you every time what God's word declares to be true of us, that we are sinners. And because God is holy, and because his character, his moral good, who his very existence displays his glory, he desires that his people, his creation, display that same moral goodness to the world around them because we are made in the image and likeness of our God. God cares deeply about the way we live our lives because our lives were designed and created by him to magnify and display his glory to the world around us. And that our sin robs God of that glory and attention. This means that if we here this morning truly want to experience God to know him, worship him, love him. And we must know and love his law and delight in his uprightness and his holiness. We don't just accept it as a theological truth, but that we actually delight in God's goodness and his desires for us. And we respond to that by seeking his word so that we might learn who he is. We might learn what his standard is, what he desires, how he acts, how he's just and upright. And in following after that, we respond in obedience to his word. Because did you know that obedience to the law of God actually leads you to experience God's goodness? It doesn't rob you of joy. It allows you to experience true joy. And that's the great lie of sin, right? It offers to you a false Messiah. It offers to you a false God who is not actually worthy of your attention and your worship. Right? If you worship the God of sex, right, what you worship is acceptance and love, but that's only really found in Jesus. If you worship money, you really worship control. You really worship uh, safety and comfort. But I'm here to tell you, it's only found in Jesus. That responding to God's word and his holiness is the only way to truly experience the glory of God. His commands are for our good. Therefore, we experience joy by pursuing, as David says, clean hands and a pure heart. So as David sits there and he tells the congregation, right, pause and think, right, reflect on God's glory. The fact that God created you when he didn't need to. Respond and reflect on who God is and his holiness and his upright character. Because we see God's glory and his, and his moral good in his word. And then lastly, he's going to say that God's glory is manifested in his son. Right? Look at verses 7 through 10 with me. He says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is 
this king of glory? It's the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. I love these verses right here, guys. And there have been entire hymns and worship songs written off just those four verses. Look at at the text. This is is a a processional song within a song. It says, lift up your heads, O gates, right? This is harking back to Jerusalem, welcoming their king. It's like, open the gates, the king is coming. He's returned. And the gates, right, and those that watch over the gates, the guards, right, they respond. Who is this king of glory, right? They know immediately there's something different about who's heading into Jerusalem here, right? Who is this? Who is this king of glory, right? And the announcers respond, it's the Lord, God himself, strong and mighty. And the gatekeepers respond again, who, who is this? Who is this king of glory? And they respond again, just to leave no doubt, the Lord of hosts. Hosts means creation of all the earth. David is not talking about himself here. God himself is entering the gates. He is the king of glory. And this is beautiful, right? Because as David is writing this hymn to us, right? He says, look at God's glory. See it in creation. Look at God's glory. We see it in his law. We see it in his holiness and his moral good. But lastly, God's glory is seen in this king. Who is this king of glory? Turn over to Hebrews chapter 1 with me. The author of Hebrews is going to answer that question for us. At Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. You guys hear that? Let me read that line to you again. I think we need to pause and and just Take this in for a moment on what the author of Hebrews is saying about Jesus here. It says that he, Jesus, is the radiance, the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature. He doesn't say a a Xerox copy. What does he say that Jesus is? The exact imprint of the holiness of God that we had just talked about in those previous verses. And he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent 
than theirs. David, hundreds of years before Jesus is even born, as he's crying out in this song, right, singing of the glory and the radiance of his God and King, As I, as I look and I gaze into the glory of God, who do I see? The King of glory, Jesus. See, I see Jesus as I see this King of glory. For Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. That God the Father has spoken to us by his Son, through whom he also created the world, right? right. The, the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, hey, remember back in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 when God was simply speaking the world into existence? Yet Jesus was there. That the world is upheld by the power of his word. That Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. I don't know how often you guys use that word radiant. I don't use it very frequently. Maybe for Jackie. That's about it. Don't laugh at that. Thank you, Daniel. I don't use that word very frequently, but it's talking about how beautiful it is. Right? It says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, that he is the exact imprint of the nature of God, meaning he is perfectly holy, and that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. This king, this is who he is. And what has that king done? He has made purification for sins. Like, the, the beautiful thing of what the author of Hebrews is saying is like, that king, the, the God of all creation, made purification for sins once and for all, that he saved us, and that he, after he had done that, and that after he had risen from the grave and defeated sin and death once and for all, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high because he is superior to the angels. That is our king. That God is why we are here this morning, church. If you can't read this and be gripped by the beauty of who God is and what Christ has done, there is nothing that I can say for you. There are no words in the English language that can capture the beauty of God and who he is in Jesus Christ. But we exist with every ounce of our being, as long as this church exists, we will exist to declare the glory of that God and that King. That is why we are here. We are here to make much of him. So as we look to make much of God, right, we look out on his creation and we worship him for that. We look at who he is, and we worship him for who he is, and we look at Jesus, the son he sent for us, and we worship him. Right, as David says in Psalm 24, he's crying out to the congregation. He's crying out to us, church. Right, He says, lift up your heads, O gates. And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Church, he says to us, whatever walls of protection, 
whatever you do to protect your own life, right? Whatever you do to try to have control, lift up the gates and to surrender to Jesus as King and as Savior. Look to him, know him, worship him. As we respond to this king, right, as Paul promises in, in Corinthians, right, as we look and gaze upon the glory of God in this king, we will worship and we will be transformed by his glory. As this is why we exist. This is why we're here. You've been to other churches and you thought that those churches were all about money or all about your participation, or whatever else. Not this one. If I was about money, I would have picked a much different place and a much different demographic to reach. We are after beholding glory of God in creation, in His holiness, in Jesus. We gather on Sundays, right? We sing, we pray, we take communion. We gather in gospel community during the week. We read our Bibles. We listen to worship music and anything else we do as Christians. Behold the beauty, the glory of God. Nothing else. You're sitting here this morning and you're like, I've been doing all those things because I want to put sin to death or I, I want to feel better about myself. You won't see sin put to death and you won't be, feel better about yourself until you set your gaze and your worship on him. Then and only then will you see those things. Bringing glory to God is our life's calling as disciples of Jesus Christ because it was Jesus Christ's life calling. You are no better than your master. You exist. Hear me on this. Whether you are a follower of Jesus here this morning or not, you exist to bring glory to God. You matter to him. God uniquely made you in his image and likeness to reflect his glory and beauty in you. You exist to worship him and to make much of him. And this can be done practically in so many ways. It can be done through reading scripture. I try to every morning as I'm drinking coffee and eating breakfast after I've gotten the boys ready for school to take out my Bible and start my daily Bible reading just so my kids can see that. And I value that. So that I can display that I'm seeking after the glory of God in his word. I do it in prayer, asking God to transform me and to transform others while also in prayer displaying my dependence upon him because he is who he really is. The world is upheld by the word of his power and that going to him in prayer is by nature recognizing your neediness and how you are lesser than him. That we do this by working, that we live in light of God's word and we serve the world and love others around us, glorifying God who first loved and served us. 
We glorify God through worship. And I don't mean listening to Hillsong. That, that, that is one way. Because you know that you can enjoy a cup of coffee and worship God. I do it all the time. God, thank you for caffeine. Thank you for creating this wonderful concoction out of beans and water. As you guys know, that's what we're drinking, right? Basically, dirt water. But man, it tastes good, doesn't it? God, thank you. God, thank you for your creation. Thank you for the people in my life who are your creation. Thank you that I can head a mile, and, uh, an hour and a half east of here and see the beauty of your creation at the Atlantic Ocean. Thank you that I can head an hour to an hour and 15 minutes west of here and see the beauty of your creation in the Gulf of Mexico. Some of you guys, you even see the beauty of God on Payne's Prairie. I'm not really sure how, but more power to you. Some of you guys are like, yeah, I love Payne's Prairie. Isn't that beautiful? Or that you could look on something like Payne's Prairie and see the beauty of God in it. God, so many people are so mad at me. I'm going to get so much feedback this week. Stop hating on Florida. Sorry, guys. Guys, we exist by God's grace and for his glory. That's why we're here. For as long as you're here, that is what we will do. Hopefully when you leave here, you'll take that same commitment with you wherever God would have you in life because that is why God made you. I'm going to invite the worship team back up here and here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a moment now to respond. And we do this every week at Aletheia Church. To respond to God and his word and what he said to us Here's what, here's what I'm going to say. We're going to, first thing we, we do every week here at Aletheia is we take communion. And communion is an act of worship. It's an opportunity for us to respond to God's glory and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. To recognize that as we take the juice and we take the wafer, right, we are responding to God's flesh and blood poured out for us and for the forgiveness of sins. So I would encourage you this morning as you take communion, you are a follower of Jesus. Take a moment before you partake in the elements and just reflect on what God has done for you. Not, not just in the cross, not just in Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, but take a moment to pause and reflect on just the fact that God created you and thank him and worship him. Take a minute to respond and reflect on just God's existence, on his holiness and his goodness, to worship him. And take a moment to, respect, to reflect and respond to the king of glory. Jesus, as you take communion, right, worship him. Because he gave his flesh and blood so that you might be reconciled 
and have, as he said, as Paul says in Corinthians, the veil torn away so that we might behold the glory of God with unveiled face. You know what the beautiful part of Psalm 24 is? Is as David is saying there, who can ascend the hill, who can stand in the presence and glory of God? None but Jesus. But because of Jesus, we can stand in the presence of God. We can behold the glory of our God because of Jesus. Because of the King of glory. And when we pray and when we worship and leave here today, beholding the glory of our God and share that same glory with others. Let's pray.